On January 1st of this year, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva assumed office as the president of Brazil. Most people just know him mononymously, big word there for you, as Lula. Oh, so he's like Cher or Madonna. <laughs> Is he a pop star too? Basically, he's like the prince of Brazil. Oh, prince. That's a good one. And what's interesting here is that this isn't the first time he served as president of Brazil. He was also president from 2003 to 2010. Oh, sounds like he must have been doing a good job if he served, left office, and then came back again. People must, must like him. Yeah, 12 years later. During his first two terms in office, he undertook some pretty radical reforms that led to growth in GDP, a reduction in public debt, reduction in inflation, and he helped 20 million Brazilians escape poverty. Inequality, illiteracy, unemployment, infant mortality, and child labor rates all fell significantly while the minimum wage and average income increased. And access to school, university, and healthcare were expanded. So Lula, Prince Lula, we'll call him Prince Lula, was considered one of the most popular politicians in the history of Brazil and realistically one of the most popular in the world while he was president. Well, I'm totally not surprised why they reelected him. I like his track record quite a bit. Could he like potentially run in the United States at some point? I think we could use that. <laughs> well, the interesting thing here is that he almost wasn't allowed to run again. Mm, and why is that? Well, because I'll tell you, in 2018, he was convicted of money laundering and corruption and spent almost two years in jail. <laughs> okay, what? Yep. And away we go. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. Hello and welcome to this episode of Indubitably. Where we cover another super exciting, uplifting topic of corrupt leadership. I'm Kelly. And I'm Josh, neither of which are corrupt. Well, I think that we'll be examining whether or not you have any chance of getting into politics after we go through the issue of corrupt leaders. If I was a corrupt leader, I would be a benevolent dictator. Whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> the problem with most corrupt leaders is that they just burn the country around them. Dictators, military juntas, oligarchs, kleptocracies, another big word for you there. Economies crash, people starve, minorities are oppressed, rights are trampled. It's just bad all around. But some are actually really good at their job. And that certainly seems to be the case with Lula in Brazil. That is, assuming you measure good at his job by the results he produces for his country and ignore whatever shenanigans he might be partaking in on the side to line his own pocket. Right. Those two years that Lula served in prison were only part of a larger nine and a half year sentence. The only reason that he was allowed to run for president again is that Brazil's Supreme Federal Court annulled the convictions against him. That's true, but it's also probably worth noting that the annulment's justification was not that the charges were false, but that the court who tried him didn't have proper jurisdiction. I think it's pretty widely accepted that the charges were true. 
It looks like we're dealing with two competing facts when it comes to Lula, that he was definitely a good and competent leader, but he also abused his position and got rich through his presidency. So how do we balance those things? Which is more important? Mm -hmm. I think that brings us to the core question of today's episode. And that would be, I suppose, if you had to choose between a competent, corrupt leader or a clean, incompetent one, which would you choose, right? Does corruption matter if a leader makes their country better? There are a couple of different ways to answer that question, depending on your own personal ethics and interests. Perhaps you're the sort of person who says, I don't really care what other people do that harms other people. I just want what's best for me. And so corruption maybe doesn't matter as much to you. Well, certainly if corruption is harming other people, it's a bad thing. But is it possible to line your own pockets and at the same time also improve the conditions for everyone around you? And if you can do corruption in that way, are you a legitimate leader? Are you a desirable leader? They say you can't have your cake and eat it too, but maybe maybe you can. Perhaps the money that is being garnered through the corrupt measures would have otherwise gone to like corporations, and I'm okay with them being hurt. Well, in Lula's case, that that certainly might be true. He is well known as a leftist politician, a champion of the people, and part of the opposition to his presidency does come from some of the elites inside of the country. The people that would typically hold influence and they'd be the ones benefiting financially in, in terms of the power they hold in the country from a political leadership. Uh, and in his case, they certainly don't seem to have as much as they might in other corrupt governments around the world, say Russia or the United States. Oh, we're going there, going right for the <laughs> jugular that is the United States. No holds barred. <laughs> I think the an interesting question, though, is to ask, like, what is the point of leadership and the point of the leader of any country, state, city, whatever, is to improve people's lives. And you would be hard pressed to say that Lula did not improve the lives of the average person in Brazil. If we're talking about somebody just acting on our interests. If they're doing something bad in the process, but it doesn't actively undermine our interests, is that bad? Right, because that that's usually what makes corrupt leaders bad. They gain their power at the expense of the country. But in this instance, and maybe a couple of other instances when that doesn't happen, maybe this is more like the analogy of a rising tide raising all ships. If the experience of the average person in Brazil is more positive than before, under this kind of leadership, is it really that bad of a thing that he's getting a little bit extra for himself as everybody's lives are improving? Well, public service is a thankless job. Skim a little off the top. It's cool. <laughs> Maybe they should just pay him a fair wage. Oh, this is just like tips, tips for the president. <laughs> Here's a tip. Buy low, sell high with your stolen funds that you put into the stock market. Okay, Pelosi. <laughs> this discussion so far presupposes that it's one or the other, that we either have a good leader who happens to be a little corrupt, or we have kind of an incompetent leader who's morally in integrious. Oh, I made a Josh word up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's not, it's not how I would have gone with it, but you know, 
<laughs> you do you. But that's kind of like a false dichotomy. It's if it's one or the other. Why can't we have both a leader with integrity who is also good? Well, I think the integration of a person. <laughs> should... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, in it, at least in Brazil, I don't think that was an option. Like theoretically, we would like to think that there's somebody out there who would be competent at leading a country and scrupulous. But in Brazil, the the seeming alternative that we had to Lula was Bolsonaro. This is the candidate that was defeated in the most recent election that resulted in Lula's re-inauguration. And Bolsonaro is a right-wing conservative candidate who, by all measures, had a failed presidency, low approval ratings, record high homicides, a dismal COVID response. Even he said his government's greatest achievement was, quote, two and a half years without corruption, which arguable. So at least in Brazil's case, I do think it is a fair question to ask, do we want an incompetent leader who, according to himself, is not corrupt? Or do we want somebody who is laughing his way to the bank, avoiding these corruption charges through inscrupulous means, but everybody's doing better under him? It sounds like the real debate here was about a president who was capable and corrupt and a president who was incapable and also corrupt. (laughs) And that seems to speak to a larger issue with the overall pool of candidates and maybe the electoral system itself that led to these conclusions. Well, and in this particular case, the people of Brazil certainly seem to have answered this question for us. They have said rather resoundingly that we want the corrupt guy because we all eat better when he's in office. Pretty clear example of the overall will of the voters in Brazil is how we had Lula elected and inaugurated, and that all went fine. And a very vocal minority disputed the election results. And instead of taking it through legal means like court appeals or mounting some sort of a legal challenge in that regard, instead decided to storm the Capitol, which we've seen happen before. It doesn't really speak to legitimacy of the movement or overall will of the people when you've got a few people like throwing chairs through plate glass windows. Hey, like I said, Brazil's not the only country with uh, corruption. It, it just kind of is the exception that proves the rule, right? That maybe Lula was definitely the choice of the, the majority of the people who had a real vested interest in the outcome of the presidential election. Well, in Brazil, like in the United States and the and the capital rioters, certainly not saying this was true in the United States, but I think the argument there would be when somebody that is corrupt runs for and is elected in office, you can no longer check on that through legitimate means. And elections at that point are kind of meaningless. That might be the only option if there's true corruption, but are they sure? Have they exhausted other measures? Have they even tried any of the legal challenges first? Seemed like a pretty quick escalation between inauguration and riots. Okay, but Lula was convicted by the courts, sentenced to nine and a half years, like you said. And then it was the courts that annulled that conviction and let him out and made him eligible to run again. So maybe in some people's minds, they see this as, hey, if the system is corrupt with him sitting on the top of it, then yes, we have exhausted all measures. And now we're led to this is our only alternative, riding the Capitol, storming the steps of the Capitol building. I see what you're saying. 
And I do recognize that people need to have faith that their political systems are working. And while the people in Brazil voted for Lula, if he was the lesser of two evils, does that mean that he's necessarily the best leader for a country? And he's the one who's most capable of keeping the political system in check. Right. There seems to be something wrong with electing a person that everybody knows is corrupt. And it's hard to tell protesters who are finding means outside the system that they're wrong when everybody acknowledges the fact that the system is corrupt, even even if it's for the good of the people. The other thing is here, if we're saying in, in Brazil, as our example at this point, that we don't have a good option, we either have incompetent leaders with integrity or a competent leader with questionable ethics, is that a little bit self-fulfilling? Like at the point where one leader starts to consolidate power and just hold on to that for extended periods of time and spread their tentacles through the entire system, how does a viable opposition candidate get to a point where they could be seen as competent? Sounds like they should try doing some corrupt stuff. (laughs) Is this like political steroids? At the point where you're corrupt and you maintain power, the only way that anybody can compete with you is for them to be corrupt also. And so you guarantee that this system is just going to crumble. We hear that refrain even in countries whose democracies we think are largely okay. Now, I know we both have our qualms about the United States government, but even in a lot of European countries that we think have a little bit more of a lock on doing things legally and ethically, people recognize that in order to get anywhere, you have to play the game. The game could be something as simple as like schmoozing with people you'd rather not talk to, or it could be engaging in corruption. And if if that's the case, let's be real. We're starting off this episode talking about Lula, but we're going to be talking about other people later on, Putin, for example. And the vast majority of corrupt leaders are not rising tides that raise all ships. The vast majority of corrupt leaders line their own pockets at the expense of the populace. And so even if you can justify your own candidacy or your own presidency as a, hey, yeah, I made a little bit extra money, but look, everybody's better off because of it. If then you pave the road for 50 years of the next person to come in and ruin people's lives, can you really justify your actions? It seems like unless you have a really strong legal check and a population who's willing to go along with it and help enforce it, that corruption is going to happen because it's the easiest way to get things done. Seems like an inevitability. Do you think there's a distinction, though? So in Lula's case, there wasn't much criticism of corruption in terms of maybe manipulating ballots or manipulating the election, besides potentially the Supreme Court decision. But as far as the election itself, it seemed to be pretty legitimate. The complaints with Lula were, what did he do with money when he was already in office? Is there a difference there when we say corruption, if the corruption has to do with the democracy and election versus if the corruption has to do with finances? Is one okay and the other one not? If it's happening in a specific context, if it had to do with money that pertains specifically to the election, it probably would seem worse, more nefarious. But if the election itself was representative, 
was not given undue influence from outside leaders or foreign nationals or what have you. And people are genuinely making a choice that is not guided by nefarious tentacles, then they have the right to say, I don't really care as much about the money thing or make that judgment themselves as an individual voter with a, a with a clear conscience and all the information in front of them. So if the the will of the people legitimately puts a corrupt individual into office, we're OK with it? Depends on how much we want to trust voters to make good decisions for themselves and their communities. So here's a question, though. Let's say the people vote for someone. They think, all right, maybe this person has a little bit of a sordid past, but we think that they're going to improve things overall. So we're going to give them a chance at getting into office. If that person is corrupt, Once they're in office, what do you do if they don't improve the lives of everybody around them? I think that corruption and deceit go hand in hand. Of course, these people are going to say that we're going to do a wonderful job for the country as a whole. What kind of power do you have, though, to remove them if that turns out not to be the truth? There are a lot of different political mechanisms to penalize leaders who don't do what they're supposed to. There are a lot of normal means like voting them out of office at the next possible election. You can't afford to wait that long because they're so egregiously terrible. Most governments have some sort of impeachment process built into their constitutions or guiding legal documents, or you can assassinate them. (laughs) Um, Which we did an episode on, uh, on a guy that we're about to talk about. So Bolsonaro was voted out. People in Brazil were able to democratically elect their leader. But some of these corrupt leaders, like, let's say, Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, took a literal revolution to get out of office. Or Vladimir Putin, I think it's safe to say he's a bit of a corrupt leader. Besides assassination, how would you get Vladimir Putin out of office? Well, We've been waiting for natural means to kick in for a while, but he's got kind of that demon look to him that says that he might be immortal. So I don't know. He's got his claws in. Him and Rasputin. Hey, that's another that's another notable Russian who couldn't die. <laughs> and here's the thing. A lot of times these leaders, they start off legitimately. They take their eight years or whatever their constitution says to gain power. And then when they're about to lose it, that's when they start to leverage all of the mechanisms that they've put into place to ensure that they can remain on after the fact. And and certainly that's the case with Putin. And if they control the system, what are you supposed to do about it? They rig the elections. They own the courts. This is where a question about what people actually want comes back up into this discourse about corruption. If we knowingly and freely elect a corrupt leader and democracy is functioning correctly, then it is like a legitimate choice. With Putin in particular, and a lot of other leaders who have been voted in by the people, but not really, it's not actually a true exercise of democracy. And when they are both currently corrupt and utilize corruption in order to get into this place of power, where they can further their corruption, there is 
very little that can be done to take them out of it. I don't know. Full revolution sounds like a pretty good idea. So maybe then the answer is, even in a case, we made a distinction earlier about like, what if it's just a little bit of corruption or what if it's just physical corruption and you're not tampering with democracy as a whole? Maybe the answer is to stamp out corruption at any level as soon as it happens, make that person ineligible to run for office to ensure that they never gain enough power to where we're literally having to talk revolution as the only possible way of getting them out of office. Or maybe we draw some lines about which corruption will turn a blind eye to and which corruption we actually will do something about. If they're doing something that is corrupt, that has nothing to do with manipulating the democratic process, maybe we're better okay with it than we would be if it was actually fucking with elections and making threats of intimidation, falsifying actual voting records, et cetera. Those seem like two different and very unrelated types of corruption. Well, you don't think it's really easy for one to just slip into the other? I'd say that we are casting a very wide net if we try to root out all corruption in politics, because I doubt that there are any political dynasties or any systems globally that don't have even a little bit of corruption. But what about at the point where you're arrested, right? Lula was literally thrown in jail for some of his activities in the past. Is that a fair benchmark? Even the reason that his conviction had to get annulled was because it did, according to Brazil's constitution, it did make him ineligible to run in this presidential election. So had he served out his time, for example, gotten out of jail, he still would have been ineligible. So he had to get annulled. So maybe taking annulment off the table to ensure that they can't turn a judge to their side and get back into office when they shouldn't be? Well, in Brazil's case, if that's what the law says, then that's what the law says. But in the United States, there is no stipulation about whether or not you've been in jail or are currently in jail in a lot of cases when it comes to serving in office. Senators can serve while they're in prison. So it doesn't seem like violating the law necessarily means that you cannot hold office. That seems a little bit (laughs) nuts at first glance, but there's also some examples where we might have a reason to want somebody in prison to be in office. I think our best example here would be South Africa and Nelson Mandela, who served 27 years in prison for the crimes, quote, of treason, incitement, and violent conspiracy. Certainly, if you're convicted of treason, that would seem to make you ineligible to run a country. Well, if we're talking corruption, then we can also assume that a country which permits political corruption might also have some corruption in their judicial system, which means that certain people are given a lack of due process. And, you know, (laughs) I don't think anybody's out here arguing that Nelson Mandela deserved to be in jail. Nelson Mandela, actually, let's see how well Kelly knows this podcast, has one distinction that not very many people in the world have. What is that distinction? You're going to have to be more specific. Nelson Mandela actually has an article on the logo of Indubitably. Oh, man. I keep forgetting about that. I don't look at the logo as much as you do. I put so much work into that. I know you did. 
Mandela released from prison is one of the articles that we have on our on our little icon there. If you zoom in really close on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, uh, you can see that. Mm. But in this case, we're talking about corruption. We're talking about Lula being thrown into prison because he was the corrupt individual. But in Mandela's case, the system was corrupt and he's attempting to bring it down. But how do we make that distinction? How do you put a law in place that's able to determine, all right, is the system messed up and this person is going to free us from it and save the country? Or is the system the thing with integrity and this individual is looking to come in, take it over and twist it to their own power? There are no other means of being able to divine the difference between those two things unless you have people given as much information as possible and full access to the mechanisms which allow them to act on it. And so is that the answer? It's it's That's what democracy is? People vote and they're the ones that get to make the decision? We think Lula is okay. We think Mandela is okay. We think Ferdinand Marcos is not. And we just trust the populations of various countries to make those decisions and decide when is corruption too much corruption. Well, the alternative is casting so much doubt on the capabilities of the voting population that you basically invalidate their justification to engage in a democratic process. Mm. There are some examples, though, where (laughs) you say invalidate the voting population. There's some examples where the voting population might deserve to be invalidated. So it's not just individuals that are corrupt. Oftentimes, families are corrupt. And we see nepotism running through the politics of a country. And one probably premier example of that would be the Philippines. The current president of the Philippines is Ferdinand Marcos Jr., also affectionately known as Bong Bong. And he is the son of, guess who? I'm going to guess somebody else whose last name is Marcos. Ah, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. is the son of Ferdinand Marcos Sr., very, uh, very creative here. So Ferdy Sr., as I'm going to call him, was the president of the Philippines from 1965 to 1989. And I think it's fair to say that anytime someone serves as president for 24 years, something is wrong. Unless that's what people actually want. A lot of people call for the end of term limits for the presidency. Like FDR, had he lived, probably could have served 24 years. Uh, And that's what Trump calls for also. Okay, we're not talking about him right now. (laughs) But we are because, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, as they say. Um, And if you're going to make a law or disband a law, you can't pick and choose who gets to take advantage of it and who doesn't. So in Marcos's case, the first Marcos, right before he was supposed to term out his legitimate eight years of presidency, He declared martial law. He suspended parliament. He had opposition politicians arrested. The army and the police tortured and killed his opponents. And so the Philippines lived under decades of human rights abuses, corruptions, assassinations. It literally took a full-blown revolution to get this guy out of power. That's how much he had corrupted the system. So he and his family after this revolution, fled to Hawaii. 
that includes Bong Bong. But in the 90s, Marcos Jr. returned and was elected president just last year, 2022. The son of the guy who had his opponents arrested and people who disagreed with him tortured and killed. The son of that guy is now the president of the Philippines. Okay. Are we really going to go with the sins of the father here? There are a lot of people who get into the same sort of industry or profession as their parents who do the opposite of what their parents did. Just because his father was a certain way, does that mean that his political dynasty is as abusive? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He just happens to be as evil, but it's not like necessarily the case that political dynasties have horrible children. Well, that's his argument. Right. And and he won this last election. And most people, I think the results are are considered legitimate. He won 58% of the vote. The next closest candidate was 27%. Also, Manny Pacquiao won almost 7%. So that's fun. But besides Ferdinand Marcos Jr. being president, his mother, who was Marcos Sr.'s wife, was elected four times to the House of Representatives. As a fun side note, she and her husband held the Guinness World Record for the, quote, greatest robbery of a government. She was pretty widely hated. While the country lived in poverty under her husband, she spent billions of the state's money on art, jewelry, shoes. She had a collection of over 3,000 pairs of shoes. She had more shoes than you have nail polish. Fun side note, there's a shoe store in Portland called Amelda's, which I think is like pretty tasteless. Do you know if it's owned by Filipinos? No, it's in in a ritzy shopping district. So I have no idea. Wow. I'm surprised that is still allowed to be a thing. I wonder if they know or if they just know, hey, there was a lady that had a bunch of shoes. Honestly, they probably gave her like the Evita treatment where she was just like, oh, a lady in politics. That's a pretty idea. Mm. And besides this lady being elected four times to the House of Representatives, Bong Bong's sister is also currently serving as a senator, although serving might be a bit of a stretch. So when you tell me that we should trust the will of the populace and just, you know, they're the ones that should be making the distinctions here between who is too corrupt and who we accept, that's the populace that voted in the entire family, including the wife. So you can't use the, uh, maybe the children have moved on from the corruption including the wife, they elected these people into office time and time again. And if that's legitimately what they want, if the election was free and fair, how much are we going to say that that was invalid? How much would we try to prevent that? So much. All the much. It's it's, very surprising to hear you take the hard line today. Oh, I just think people are dumb in general. (laughs) Soundbite of the week. (laughs) (laughs) This is an extension of that. I mean, at this point, though, you know, people have in politics on a more serious note, people have such, I think, short term memories and name recognition is something that's so important to the to the point that people literally will recognize a name they've heard before and then vote for it without remembering why they recognize that name in the first place. Like, oh, the Marcoses. I know the Marcoses. They must be legit. I love her shoes. 
she has a store in Portland. <laughs> uh, you really have no faith in people. Okay, well, how do you explain this then? This is literally the son of a murderer who, okay, you can try to tell me that he didn't know what was happening and he doesn't run things in the same way, but I'm finding that to be a little bit questionable. It does make sense that there are going to be families that have more political representation than others due to a lot of different circumstances. In countries that are overall not as uh, economically vibrant as maybe like the United States, there probably is a lot of consolidation of wealth and power, which means that not many other people have a chance to get in. Um, But even in the United States, there's political dynasties too. Like the Kennedys are a good example of that. And we've got multiple father, son, father, grandson, father, cousin, cousin, uncle presidencies. It happens everywhere. Right. I think the the Bushes are probably the best example of that. Two presidents, a governorship, et cetera, all within one family. Do you think this is a shady way of getting around term limits, for example? You're so cynical that you think that they're basically the same people just because they're related. Well, in Marcos's case, it's not like he was a 12-year-old kid and his dad was doing all of this. When they were sent out of the country, literally driven out by revolution, he was like 35 years old. He was an adult. He knew what was happening. And then he comes back 20 years later, starts running for office again. Uh, he found Jesus in Hawaii. Is that <laughs> is that the claim? I don't know. I think that there's plenty of evidence that there are people who can engage in politics like other people in their family and don't necessarily fall into the same traps or have the same sort of outcomes. I disagree that it is inherently a problem if a politician is related to another politician. Right. But then you have horrible examples of people that should just never be allowed in politics, like the most corrupt person, Hillary. Don't go. Don't go there. (laughs) <laughs> I figured you'd like that one. Are you going to do a but her emails, but her emails today? Did you know that she ate children in a pizza shop? That's not even the exact rumor that came out, but okay. <laughs> what was the rumor? But there was, no, I'm not going to repeat it because you're going to take it out of context and put it on there like I'm like espousing it. <laughs> the point is, that's the argument against nepotism, pizza shops and corruption and children being eaten. You have a couple of examples here that speak to coincidentally people within the same family being kind of maybe not great. But I still am unsure that that's a widespread problem. And I think that around the world, there are plenty of families in politics that don't have these same egregious issues. But plenty that do. We talked about the Marcoses. We could also go to Cuba and talk about the Castros, where if we have an issue with Ferdinand Marcos being in office for 24 years, Fidel Castro was the prime minister of Cuba from 1959 to 1976, right? So that's almost 20 years. But then guess what happened? He found Jesus in Hawaii. (laughs) After he finished being prime minister in 1976, then he decided to become president. And he was president from 1976 to 2008. His reign lasted almost 50 years. And then when he left office, we still weren't even done because then he passed the office over to his brother Raul until 2021. So we're talking over 60 years of the same family running a country. Which 
is not unique to countries that engage in democratic practices. There are plenty of monarchies that have a similar situation emerge. Well, luckily, in our episode where we debated whether or not we should abolish the monarchy, I won. And so that's not a problem anymore. Mm, okay. So I think the question we we have to ask here that we're getting to is, if the only way that we have to decide when corruption is okay or not okay is the will of the people, that begs the question, should democracy have limitations? Or whoever wins the most votes wins. Like, should there be certain people that are disqualified from running, whether it is you get arrested, automatic disqualification, your family held office, maybe you're disqualified, term limits are a type of disqualification, etc. This is a discussion that goes outside of corruption altogether because there are limits that are placed on the democratic process in multiple different ways. The agreement to participate in a two-party system like in the United States means that there are fewer people from other political points of view who get to participate altogether and thus don't get an opportunity to be voted on. But age limits for elected office, citizenship requirements for elected office, the age requirements of voters themselves, and the fact that convicted felons can't vote in the United States are all restrictions of the democratic process. So if we accept that those are appropriate, and in some cases, they probably are, then we could probably also say that corruption would be a disqualifying factor towards running for office as well. Mm. Well, if we go back to the initial question of this episode and back to Lula getting elected president in Brazil, we asked, would we rather have a competent and corrupt leader or a let, let's let's make it even easier, like a less competent? We don't even have to say that they're going to do a horrible job, but just a less competent leader that has integrity. If it seems like the whole system is almost inevitably corrupt, even in a country like the United States, certainly a country like Philippines, certainly a country like Cuba, if the system is almost guaranteed to be corrupt everywhere, why does it really matter if the people inside of that system are also corrupt? Why don't we just pick the person who would do the best job possible, whether they make money on themselves or not? It does seem like the easier option to not have to grapple with all these questions and just go like, okay. You know what you're doing. Please go govern. I don't care anymore. But I want to take it back a little bit to some of the limitations on democracy that we've been talking about, because some of the limits make it so that people can more easily get in power and stay in power, like gerrymandering or perhaps you know corruption. But there are also things that impede the democratic process a little bit in a way that ensures that people cannot necessarily become entrenched forever. You're very concerned about that. We have presidential term limits in the United States, for example, and a lot of other countries do too. That's a limitation of democracy, but it's one that we gen generally accept as being valid because we don't want to have people just locking themselves in an ivory tower for 60 years and being tyrants essentially over people who have no say in whether or not they can continue their reign. Mm, a la Castro. I think that one is is a really good point. Even if we buy the the will of the people should be paramount, I think term limits are a good check. And at its core, I would imagine that you could use 
an ignoring or a tearing down of term limits as an easy way to define a dictatorship or an easy way to define corruption. Because almost every leader across the board who is corrupt, this is one of the first things that they address, whether it's Marcos through martial law, whether it's politicians like Castro or Putin that use creative ways of jumping back and forth between prime minister and president to get around term limits, whether it's recently in China, presidential term limits were removed, which allow Xi Jinping to basically remain in power forever. This is a recurring theme within corrupt leaders, the removal of term limits. So term limits seem like a pretty good tool to to fight against corruption in an effective and fair way. Maybe, but we didn't get to vote for Obama a third time, even though we all would have if we could. Michelle could have ran. Again, she's not her husband. So I know that you're claiming the political dynasties are just more of the same. I feel like she would actually be quite different. So, okay, there's some restrictions on who's allowed to run, how long are they allowed to hold office, the manner in which democracy and voting is conducted, etc. But despite all of this, we do have demonstrably corrupt individuals getting elected into office and sometimes in free and fair elections. Certainly, we have plenty of cases where the elections, we can point to them being tampered with. That's a different story. But in the cases where they have been legitimately elected and then they turn out to be corrupt or maybe the corruption is worse than people would have thought, do people have a right to complain if the corrupt people they elect do things, corrupt things, that end up hurting them, the voters? No. (laughs) I I like to give one succinct answer per episode, and this is one of those times. It reminds me of a tweet I saw with the, I never thought leopards would eat my face, sobs women who voted for leopards eating people's faces party. (laughs) Well, isn't the implication there then that the Philippines, for example, are responsible for the suffering that they experienced at the hands of Marcos because they elected him the first couple times legitimately? Initially. The people of the Philippines were led to believe one conclusion about this leader and chose to vote for somebody that they thought would respect the rule of law. And then they had the rug pulled out from underneath them. And in that case, I'd say, yes, that's a legitimate complaint to say that democracy had been subverted by somebody who manipulated the process and the trust of the people. If it's a situation where you kind of knew it was going to be happening because it was Donald J. Trump who did it. I don't think that you have a right to be mad. And I don't think that there's any legitimacy to being surprised by it even. If the people are that easily manipulated, though, it brings me back to the the question we asked, is democracy enough of a check against these corrupt leaders? You're trusting the will of the people to make a decision on who should lead them and who should not. But if they make this many mistakes this often, Isn't it better to just put rules into place that do say certain people should not be allowed to run for office? And if there are rules in place, corruption seems like a pretty good standard for something we should just disqualify right out the gate. That's if you think that the extent of our engagement with the democratic process is just the election. There's so much beyond that that is available as a resource 
to control the elected leaders after they've gotten into office. There's pressure within their parties to do do right because there's an overall effect on their positions and initiatives if they have a person who's kind of messing things up for everybody else. There are tools to get people out of office to do bad things in a lot of cases, like legal mechanisms, not just like rioting. The democratic process is not just going to vote a few times every few years. I suppose that's true. And if we talk about leaders outside of the most extreme examples that we've brought up, the Putins, the Marcoses that lead their countries with literal torture, assassinations, and killings, all of those options are still on the table. And at at that point, when we're not talking about human rights violations, et cetera, but we're talking about financial corruption, lining their own pockets, buying a car here, buying a hotel there, I guess we, we do have to trust the people to know what's best for them and to decide like, hey, if I can feed my family more comfortably now, I don't really care that he's getting an extra car. I don't really care that she's got 3,000 pairs of shoes. Yeah, it's exhausting to care about all those things if you have other priorities and are more concerned about your needs being met. If somebody's skimming off the top, and probably most everybody is, if it affects me, I'll care. But there's so much else that is a priority for a lot of voters. Who has the emotional bandwidth to care about that much stuff? And I think that's maybe something that we have a tendency to forget when it comes to democracy is a lot of people don't research these things. A lot of people don't follow the news, who's doing what, who married who, who bought what, who's been in office for this many years. They literally just know this is how my life is going. This is how my kids are doing. This is how my job is going. And if things are good, I just want to keep it the same. And if that means keeping the same person in office for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, as long as my life stays good, I'm fine with that. And that's one of the points of democracy in and of itself, especially representative democracy, is outsourcing the work of governance to other people. And if things are going well for you, you've outsourced it to the right person. All right. So let's bring this full circle back to Lula, back to Brazil. And I want you, Kelly, to pretend that you are an average citizen of Brazil. Oh, my gosh. I'm so hot. It is so hot here. How do people live here? (laughs) This is very different than Portland, isn't it? It's so different. (laughs) But the difference between you and the average citizen is you've been given the power to choose the next president. Mm. Do you choose Lula? Does it even have to be a Brazilian? Yes. I'm just going to piss you off and say Elizabeth Warren. Oh, my God. (laughs) But if they're talking about Bolsonaro versus Lula, like, that's what you're really asking me, probably, Mm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say Lula. Por qué? I would opt for Lula, regardless of the corruption, because he has a demonstrable track record of doing things better than Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro is, like, not even in Brazil right now. He's experiencing his like ninth bout of COVID in Miami right now. I don't think he cares much about Brazil. Mm -hmm. Which is part of the reason he lost the election. Yeah. If we're looking beyond just the situation in Brazil to the overall issue of should people get to vote for whoever they want to, even if those people might have done bad things, I'm pretty sure democracy would erode if we start to take too many measures against letting people exercise their will that way. 
and we have to trust the process. Sometimes democracy does not get us the outcomes we want. And it doesn't always put the people who are best for the job into the role. But on the whole, this is the system we trust the most. So we have to accept the not great outcomes along with the outcomes that we are looking for. And what about, we've certainly throughout the episode talked about some restrictions that we don't think are legitimate, right? Let's just go with the will of the people. But one that we seemed to like was term limits. How do you feel about term limits? I do see the merit in looking for, for lack of a better term, fresh blood, allowing other people to break into politics. We're seeing that happening a lot in the United States right now with getting more people participating in politics who like have tattoos and use different pronouns than you thought they were going to. And if we constantly have the same people in office all the time, it doesn't really create the space to let those people into higher office. It's kind of like how I want all the executives at my job to start retiring so that there's room at the top for people like me. I would do an amazing job. You have tattoos? Yeah, I've got a few. Me too. Yeah, I've got less than you. We we didn't tell our listeners about that in our Meet the Hosts episode. Do we want to tell them really quickly what tattoos we have, or is that a little bit off topic? I have my cat's face on my left butt cheek. I do not. I do not have that. (laughs) (laughs) But Josh, you seem to have a little more of a hardline stance, or at least a deeper mistrust of the people. What say you, average Brazilian citizen Josh, about your potential presidents? (laughs) Well, I, I would vote for Lula, too, in this particular case. But I think, you know, we pointed to the issue here is that the the question of this whole episode is a false dichotomy, right? You choose a competent, corrupt leader or an incompetent, but trustworthy leader. The, The best case scenario would be to have the competent and trustworthy leader, right? And I think that allowing for people to gain power through corrupt means, and especially allowing people to ignore term limits, almost guarantees that this false dichotomy becomes a real dichotomy that's the question and you know i so i like lula for now but i i would like it also if we had a system where he knew hey once my time is up i can't get back into office and then if he really does have the best interests of the country in mind he will start looking to equip future politicians with the ability to lead the country as well as he had and if they can buy a car or two while they do it. I don't really have a problem with that. And what about looking at our own democracies, the the little closer to home scenarios that we keep bringing up? Oh, I mean, that might be, I know I, I sound pretty jaded every time we talk about democracy on the show, but that might be part of the reason I don't have that big of a problem with Lula is because I think the system itself has so much corruption like built into it. Gerrymandering, voter registration laws. We have a two-party system where even though theoretically anybody can run for president, in reality, we only have two choices, the Republican candidate, the Democratic candidate. I think all of that, to varying degrees, corrupts the system that we're in. And so given the reality of that and the reality of what, especially in the United States, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any country in the world that doesn't have some degree of that, given the reality of that level of corruption, I don't think I have a problem with somebody who's corrupt winning an election if that's who the people vote for, even if the people aren't right a lot of the time. And in the case of Lula, 
and somebody that's that competent that's made that much progress for a country, no problem. You're, you're agreeing with me. Yeah, I guess we agree on this one. Yeah. Even though we disagreed the whole episode, we came to the same conclusion. It's like a cost-benefit analysis, right? The cost of me caring is too great, and the benefit of me ignoring the problem is pretty good. <laughs> I think maybe we just both agree Bolsonaro sucks. Yeah, that too. I mean, like, we didn't get into it too much, but he really sucks. I guess my concern, though, would be if we were to implement the same rules and allow Lula to get into office and we had to implement the same rules for every candidate in every country, I do think on balance, we would have more corruption that would lead to more people suffering than we would have these amazing, corrupt, but competent leaders that do well for the country. So it's a tough balance because I I do think that if we were to implement this as a categorical imperative across the board, it would be net bad. I can agree with that too. I think the well-meaning corrupt person is a pretty rare politician and often being incompetent or actively undermining the well-being of your people and corruption do go hand in hand. But if that's what the people want, who am I to tell them they can't have it? I'm no one. Oh, I don't think you're no one. Thanks. I need to be reminded of my existence. <laughs> I'd let you run for president. Oh, I don't I don't think that's a good idea. I wouldn't vote for you, but I'd let you run. <laughs> Why wouldn't you vote for me? <laughs> because um, I'm, I'm a woman <laughs> i have an interesting question i ask who you'd vote for for president of brazil but if you could vote for anybody for president of the united states who would you vote for oprah yeah actually i honestly that was quick i've i've often wondered why she hasn't gotten into politics or thrown more of her influence behind specific politicians um i think she does kind of suck because she brought us dr oz dr phil other questionable doctors but you have to know that like we'd get wellness wednesdays and like nap pods and stuff in like every house you get a nap pod you get a nap pod (laughs) i'm very tired today i think oprah would be a very good president and she's so rich she has no need to engage in like duplicitous money grabbing schemes she's kind of above that Mm, that's what Trump said. Oh, but we know that Oprah is rich. Trump is a liar. What about what about you? Who would you vote for? I kind of want to say Elon Musk just to make you angry. He's ineligible. <laughs> oh, okay. Anybody except for him. I would. He's from South Africa. I mean, are you saying anybody regardless of nation and birth? Yeah, sure. Oh, and I changed my answer to the Dalai Lama. Really? No, I don't. Who would you vote for? Really? Seriously, Elon Musk? No, 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 no. That's just to bother you. Definitely Mm not. It works. I would honestly, I don't want a fanboy here, but I might just put Obama back in office. You just can't get enough of those drone strikes. Yeah, I mean, like I got it. I have issues with him, but uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody who would do better. How about this? If everybody in the country was able to vote for whoever they wanted. There was no campaigns. Nobody could talk to anybody else. Everybody just walked into a booth and wrote down a name. Who do you think would get the most votes? The Rock. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Honestly. What about you? What do you think? You actually think it would be The Rock? Yeah, I, I think that he is 
so beloved by so many people. And I don't think he's incredibly problematic either. I think that people just adore him. I actually think, and this is, uh, you know, I think as an academic answer, I'm not saying I support this, but I think Trump would probably win. Ew. Because I think he's at the top of the largest group of people's list, right? Whereas I think everybody else would split the vote. So the people who like might like Barack Obama would also like Michelle Obama, would also like Oprah would also like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, would also like Bill Clinton. I think they would split all of those votes up, but I think Trump just has that base that has him as number one across the board. The only people I can think of him splitting the vote with would be him, Elon Musk. Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Trump, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was Michelle Obama. Hmm. Maybe we should be a little bit happy that we don't have quite as uh, an unlimited access to democracy as we've been talking about today. Because I think both of these options would probably suck a lot. (laughs) Well, we can perform our own little experiment with our Indubitably listeners. And you could tell us who you would vote for if you could vote for anybody at our socials, Facebook and Twitter at IndubitablyPod. And we'll let you know next episode on who's going to be the next president of the United States. President Camacho. Do you mean President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho? Gotta get that product placement in. It's smart (laughs) if you think about it. The president from Idiocracy, Terry Crews. He was a very charismatic leader. I would vote for Terry Crews. I like that guy. Yeah, Terry Crews would be a great vice president to The Rock. Oh my gosh, too much muscle. Nobody would mess with us. Yeah, I mean, that's a show of force. (laughs) 